I was out with uh, a male Gossok, and uh, I had a Brittany Spaniel at the time. And this Brittany I had trained to uh, point rabbits. And the Brittany went on point, and I walked up there with the Gossok on the fist, and um, you know, getting ready to to give it a kick. And uh, the dog yelped and started spinning around in circles with a muskrat attached to its uh, lip. And there was blood everywhere. And and the uh, goshawk latched on to the muskrat and the dog. Um, and it, it just was a, a complete debacle. It was, it was a mess. It was horrible. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Falconry Told podcast. And appreciate y'all continuing to join us on our continued travels throughout the U.S. and different parts of the world. Your continued support is much appreciated. And speaking of support, I have to give a quick shout out and a quick thank you to the continued support from Bobby Auger Crafts out of Poland. Y'all have heard me brag many, many times over now about the wonderful handcrafted equipment that he makes. It's great stuff. If you haven't yet, definitely check out the hybrid jesses he makes or some of the anklets that he makes with Marshall's easy twist nuts sewn into them. Great stuff. If you haven't had a chance to check out any of it yet, head to at Bobby Yaga Goshawk on Instagram, or you can find his other contact information on our website at falconretold.com. It'll be well worth your time if you haven't yet. And before we launch into this conversation with this episode's guest of the Falconry Told podcast, I want to announce that the guest for this episode is also going to be one of our newest sponsors, and that's Seth Roy from North Mountain Goshawks. And if you haven't seen any of the birds that he's produced fly, I can attest to seeing some fly in person, and he produces some really good birds in this propagation project and his facilities and his whole operation is second to none. I really admire all of the time, effort, and energy that he's put into it, and he's got a beautiful property that he produces these birds on. So if you're in the market soon for a new goshawk, I highly recommend you get in touch with him. He is specializes actually in parent-reared goshawks, but if you're in the market soon for a new North American, East Siberian, or Finnish goshawk, then I highly recommend you head to northmountaingoshawks.com, fill out that contact form that's on the website, and get in touch with him. He produces some good birds, so if you give one a chance, I think that there's a pretty good chance that you'll be pleased. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to this conversation that I had with Seth, and we do discuss his propagation projects some, and uh, he was nice enough to host us for an evening and have us out while I was recording some episodes not too far from him around the Jersey area recently, and it was really nice getting to know him some as well as his family and seeing that amazing property that he has out there. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation that I have with Seth Roy, and here we go. What's this called? How do you pronounce this? You know, it was a gift to me. Uh, I'm going to have to look at the can myself. Lou? Lou? Lau. Lau? It's German, I believe. Okay, yeah, hence the two dots over the U. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I've, I've been to Germany, let's see, what, two or three times now? I've had the the privilege of having some some German beer, but yeah. I, I I've never had this. I mean, I, I like um, I especially when I'm in Germany, I really like having uh, the Hefeweizens, mm-hmm. and um, 
but yeah, I mean, I've not ever had this before. So yeah, that's some good stuff, man. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. I've been to Germany a few times myself and it is always uh, a surprise to me, the lack of beer variety. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because they seem to be kind of beer snobbish in their own way. And it's, and it's very, it's, it's almost kind of like a German mindset. I've, uh, I've talked, <laughs> I have many Germans in my life who I love very dearly and think very highly of, but they definitely are very set in their ways when it comes to certain things. And uh, I found that beer is uh, no exception, hmm. but I don't know what your experience has been with that, but it really is. I don't know if you found this in your travels too, but I mean, it really is kind of a small world once you start getting around it. Yeah, I mean, what what have your what have been some of your other experiences, kind of traveling abroad, or do you have many? I I do. I've traveled abroad for hunting predominantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to uh, Kamchatka. I've been to Russia hunting brown bear. Okay. Uh, I've been to Africa, uh, Zimbabwe, and uh, Mozambique a couple of times. Uh, I've been to France hunting. Um, many places in the U.S., Canada, uh, New Zealand. I think that. Yeah, that checks the boxes there. Yeah. yeah, it's not like that's not enough or anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, no, I get it, man. And, and it really is cool. I don't know, like, as you know, I was just recently in, in South Africa, kind of in and around like the Cape Town area and stuff for the podcast. And um, it really is interesting, the differences in all these places, not just from falconry, but I mean, just the different laws that they have, how they conduct themselves, you know, the type of... Um, industry that's involved with not just hunting but a lot of other things in general and um i mean so in all these different places not necessarily even just like falcon related but like with the hunting regs and things like that i mean what are some of the the more interesting like differences that you've seen in some of these different countries that you've been as far as how they go about organizing orchestrating and and doing all this stuff i guess i would just speak in broad terms about that sure. uh, for one i'm always glad to come home uh, we live in a beautiful <laughs> place um, mm-hmm. for anybody that has not traveled uh, internationally um, it really makes you appreciate what we have here mm-hmm. um, they many places are uh, regulated to the extreme um, our falconer here is so liberal uh, we can do so many things uh, even though we do have regulations but we don't have the government thumb uh, holding us down at every corner. And even though it is pretty much still one of the most, if not the most highly regulated hunting sport in our country, I, I do a hundred percent agree with you, especially after seeing how things are in like South Africa in particular, you know, how their falconry works down there with the clubs and a yeah, lot of Yeah, the, they have a quota they have to put in ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. They're allowed to trap X number of uh, mm-hmm. whatever species and mm-hmm. They divvy it up. Yep. And someone from the club's pretty much assigned to do the trapping for all the members. And even if you buy a bird, the club still technically owns the bird, even though you spend the money on it. How would that fly here? It wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't. So that's why I always like talking to people that have experienced, especially falconry and, and other types of hunting in other countries, because... I, for exactly the sentiment that you just said, it really does make you appreciate what you have already. And I mean, if you told people that there was a risk, like in the the U.S. in particular, like, 
you know, someone could just wave a magic wand and be like, well, I don't really like falconry. I don't really like um, depending or uh, I don't like being dependent on, you know, the limited resources. I, I don't have these resources to monitor it, regulate it. I'm just going to make it illegal. Yep. And then all of a sudden it's illegal. That, and that happens many places. Yep. And that wouldn't fly very well here either, I don't think. <laughs> but um, but yeah, man, as far as, you know, I mean, I will give you props. So, I mean, I, I can totally understand why you like coming back home. I mean, <laughs> you've uh, you've built a really nice place for yourself here. I'm really impressed. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Have you been here the majority of your of your life, or is this like? Um, oh, we bought this property in 2016. Okay. Um, so what's that? Seven ish years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend an inordinate amount of time grooming my property for falconry uh, to make it easy uh, for me to come home from work and and spend uh, 30 minutes or an hour uh, without having to drive, mm-hmm. um, especially when training birds. Uh, keeps me closer to my kids and my wife and keeps uh, everything on an even keel. And I'm sure that is just invaluable. I mean, time is everything. And, you know, there's no disputing that. Yeah, I mean, having all this land around your property here that you've, it looks like meticulously in some spots groomed to be able to have that and just walk out your back door, man, I can... I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm a little jealous. <laughs> it was by design, not by accident. No, I mean obviously. It's definitely obvious that this is a has been a, a planned thing for you. And no, I commend the hell out of you on it, man. It's um it really is something that I mean, for some people it takes a lifetime to get there. So I mean, it's great that you've been able to get there and manage to this point and yeah, I mean, you've got a, a hell of a place. Like I said, I can't, I don't really know what else to say. It, it's really, it's really nice. Pretty cool to walk a uh, hundred feet from my back door and fly the Merlin earlier, huh? Yeah, no, man, that was cool as hell. And, um, you know, I, I think that if uh, a lot of Falconers saw what you're able to just kind of do out your, your back door here, there would be a lot of salivation and, <laughs> and just a lot of overall just envy um it really is uh very interesting how yeah i mean it's exactly like you can't really describe it any better way i mean you can literally walk out your back door be in the game and not even take a hundred steps literally out out your backyard no it's 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 amazing but what else are you flying i mean i know that we, we kind of had the imprint discussion a little bit ago just in you know touching it not really not a big my, fan. Not, not my favorite uh form of falconry no yeah so, I mean, what else are you currently trying to, to fly right now other than, you know, kind of grooming the Smerlin and, and everything else? So, unfortunately for a guy that doesn't really particularly like imprints and places a high value on trapping passage birds, uh, I am a goshawk breeder um, and I am imprinting three birds at once uh, presently for the project. Um sacrifices i'm willing to make right (laughs) (laughs) i get it i get it not not from that angle but we had that conversation a little bit a while ago too but yeah so i i um i have a a small interest in trying to to breed perlins um a very dear friend of mine and falconer uh bred perlins for a few decades um he passed away last may Mm. 
Um, and whenever he uh, whenever he died, I uh, obtained a couple of his Merlins and uh, Peregrine Tearsoul. Um, so I thought, well, I'll go grab another Merlin this year and try and try and do that for him. Yeah, see what happens. Yep. So that's why I have the imprint Merlins, my first imprint Merlin. I've flown uh, pretty many passage Merlins. Um, I also have two imprint Gosshawks right now, young birds. Uh, one is a uh, imprint female Finn uh, from a pretty unique stock that I held back. Uh, it took me several years to to get something from her. Uh, I do do breed Gosshawks uh, through uh, natural pairs and natural copulation. Uh, that's my preferred method. Uh, however, it's difficult and not a sure thing. Where if I imprinted one of these young birds, uh, I hate to put it like this, but a monkey could breed imprint goshawks. I mean, it's not difficult. <laughs> so, so I, I I imprinted that bird, and then I also, uh, you know, it's like feast or famine. I uh, was able to produce uh, my first pretty special uh, albatus uh, tearsel. Somewhat of a unique color, big bird. So I imprinted that bird as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i always been told that having, you know, like a, an actual chamber pair and chamber raised goshawks is definitely a lot harder. You know, I wouldn't know anything about it. I'm just taking people's word for it. But I mean, I know that's why people love the imprint process so much and that are breeders in, in terms of, of goshawks and stuff also because there's less likely of a chance that, you know, one's going to kill the other and all this kind well, of stuff. It's, an, and, it's impossible unless yeah. they get out. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Breeding natural pairs. Um, myself, uh, one of my mentors, Lance Christensen, uh, mm -hmm. uh, breeds them. I don't know of anybody else that has uh, continually produced naturally uh, uh, natural paired goshawks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've heard... You know, I don't I don't know Lance personally, but I've heard a lot about his breeding project and how he goes about, you know, like, you know, chamber raising a mm -hmm. lot of the a lot of his goshawks and stuff, too. I mean, so, I mean, if he was your mentor, I mean, do you do things a lot of the same way? Have you kind of changed things up a little bit or? Uh, according to him, I am uh, of a very rare sort that actually listens to what he tells me and I do it <laughs> and it works. Fair enough. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I was breeding goshawks uh, before uh, Lance and I, uh, we'll call it, partnered up. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, he's certainly uh, up my game exponentially. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of guys I look up to in the sport, and uh, he's definitely one of them. Well, and, and I mean, for people that aren't familiar with the process, I mean, you don't have to go into like gory details or gritty details about it, but I mean... What kind of rigors do you have to go through? It requires a much different uh, mew setup, much, much different breeding facility. Um, they require uh, significantly bigger uh, chambers. Um, you have to keep the male and the female separated until the right time. I could talk about an hour about what is the right time. I'm not <laughs> going to because that's kind of like the secret sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but whenever it is the right time, you put them together and cross your fingers and, um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And you might try that several times during a season. And sometimes they just won't, won't get together. Um, a pair that is bred religiously for a decade, the female white turn on the male one day and kill him. Mm -hmm. Um, it's definitely, 
not for the faint of heart. I mean, when you walk away from the imprint barn, you can go uh, eat a meal, watch a movie, uh, play with the kids. Whenever I walk away from my, my uh, natural pairs and they're together, I'm on my phone all the time looking at the monitors. You know, when I'm at work, I've got a whole separate monitor set up to observe them, to see if the female's starting to get squirrely. You know, are they getting along? Um, it's very stressful. I can imagine. I mean, just, I mean, any kind of breeding project is stressful. I mean, anybody that I know that has breeding projects, as we were kind of talking in generalities earlier, I mean, you're chained to it. You, you're like almost a prisoner to it in a way for X amount of time. And I can't imagine being that worried about something. I mean, falconry in general can be stressful enough with all the different worries and concerns that you can have over the course of a season, just flying your birds, let alone having all this money, resources, and all these other things tied up into a, a breeding project that you're constantly having to monitor. So, I mean, I can only imagine. It's, yeah. Falconry for me is not stressful. Um, it's never been stressful for me. Uh, I've always been naturally uh, in tune with the, with the hawks, the falcons. Uh, but the breeding thing, you know, there you have no control over it once you open those windows. Yeah, I mean, once again, I mean, it's really admirable. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be able to to do it. And it, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> there's there's so many different aspects about falconry past just the pure meat and potatoes of falconry with hunting your bird and stuff. And I'm not really sure I would endeavor to get into just because it's just, it's just such, um, well, when did you get into falconry? How old were you? How old was I, man? I was, I was, um, Oh, I mean, it was 2015. So, I mean, I was in like 30 to 30, 31, something like that. Um, I just turned 40. So, I mean, that was about eight years ago. So I mean, 31, 32, somewhere around there. I think. Yeah. So you're right yeah. in the phase where you're starting to realize all the things you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I and mean, we were, we were joking the other night with some of these other guys, you know, how, how you go through this phase where, you know, you know, nothing. And then you're in it for a couple of years and you think, you know, a lot. Yep. And then, you know, you go, you kind of progress past a, another few years, fly a few more birds, whatever the case is. And you, you get knocked back down a few pegs and yep. then, yeah, you realize all the things that you don't know. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. No, I mean, when, when, what age did you get into it? I've had birds uh, all of my life since I was a teenager. Teenager? Um, consistently trapped and flown birds. I think uh, I'm 37. Uh, I've been hawking since I was 13. Uh, I had my first bird at, I think, 16. Yeah. Some years, um, I personally placed a high emphasis uh, because one of my mentors uh, placed a high emphasis on trapping and training passage birds. And uh, I would go some years and trap and train passage bird, kill ahead of game and release it and trap another one. And uh, I did that for a long time uh, yeah. because I believe that's really the only way you can uh, truly hone your skills and, and learn something. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree because... I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with it if that's what you want your personal falconry to be is to fly like one bird for several years no, or whatever. No, would, would never, never look down on that or think, yeah. think less of uh, anybody for that. It's, hey, does this bring you uh, joy? Uh, is it fun for you? Uh, yeah. Is it enriching in some way? Yeah. 
those are the important things for sure. No, I completely agree, but I, I do also 100% agree that, yeah, you don't really start learning and, and finding out what you don't know until you start working with, you know, multiple birds of the same species over multiple species. That's and, right. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I, I had this talk with our mutual friend a couple of years ago and <laughs> he was spouting off about chamber raised goshawks and how they're pieces of crap. And I'm like, <laughs> I said, well, buddy, have you ever flown one? Well, no. Well, how many imprints you flown? A couple. Did you ever fly passage bird? No. I said, you don't have a place at the table. I said, you don't get an opinion. I said, leave it at the door. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. No, that's, that's perfect, man. Yeah. And, and it's funny too, because you, you, you do have success with a couple of different species and you might fly a couple birds, but they might both be passage birds or they might both be captive bred or whatever. And I, I do agree. Like once you start finding out the subtle differences between an imprint of a species versus a passage versus a chamber raise versus a second hand, you know, whatever. Yeah. You, that's when you really start to find out you're exactly right. Like you, it's when you really start to find out just all the different things that you really don't know. Yep. It, um, there are no masters in this sport. No. If you spent a lifetime dedicated to imprint Cooper socks, you might call yourself a master of imprint Cooper socks. Maybe. But, but, a, but a whole lifetime, you, you couldn't master every aspect of Cooper socks. Yeah, no, it's impossible unless you were just basically, I mean, even if you were gifted a billion dollars and just made your lifetime endeavor all day, every day to yep. be just nothing but birds. I still think it would be theoretically impossible. Yeah, because it, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, falconry lives. I think for that matter, are all that much better for it. Because as I was talking to some of these guys the other night, you don't want to become a master of this. No, it would be boring. Exactly. I mean, you, if you if you felt like you could become a master of something and there wasn't anything else to learn, then there's no point in really doing it anymore. You know, it's like on to the next thing. Well, then what's the next thing? It, it speaks volumes that there are so many, um, I'll call them old timers uh, mm -hmm. in our sport that have, that have had raptors since they were, you know, teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, not once in their life did they ever set it down. There aren't many, I'll call it a hobby, but it's not really a hobby. There aren't many uh, things you do in your life like that that permeate every aspect of your life for your entire life. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. And yeah, whether or not you want to call it a lifestyle, hobby, whatever, to some extent, everybody that's in this sport to some degree has to mold their life around it. it to what extent is up to them. Yeah. But, but for sure, I mean, it, it's going to make an impact. There's going to be a sacrifice somewhere because of it. And yeah, I mean, to whatever, to what extent people make that it's their choice. But I mean, out of curiosity then, I mean, since you got into this so young, I mean, what was the spark? Like, what was the deciding factor for you getting into this? I had no idea that uh, falconry existed until uh, I mentioned our, our business earlier in our conversation. Mm -hmm. That business started um, as a, a hobby, a, a side project for, for my dad. And he was importing um, Swarovski binoculars from Germany at the time. And a, a local... Uh, Falconer had found out that he was selling these things essentially out of our basement and uh, asked to come over and, and buy a pair of binoculars and had mentioned in the conversation that he trained hawks and hunted with them. And my dad thought, well, that might be a neat thing for my 
my boy to see. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I sometimes think he wishes he never, never, <laughs> never asked him to bring his bird over because it, it, it changed the course of my life. Mm -hmm. um, every day I, I do something falconry related and it hasn't made me any less successful as a person or as a husband or as a friend, but it's certainly a time suck. Uh, if you're doing it, you, you're doing it. You're not setting it down. No, exactly. And that's like, like I, like I just said a minute ago, man, it's just like, it's to what extent some people make it like their complete life endeavor. Some people, it's just a casual thing to do every so often on the side. Some, a lot of people are kind of in between that, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think as long as you can, yeah, make sure that you can have some degree of happiness and there's a balance, you know? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Keeping things on an even keel, very, very difficult. Yeah. You look at around a lot of our contemporaries, high divorce rate. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of unhappy marriages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then, you know, even even the, the falconry couples that become falconry couples, you know, it's like, sometimes I wonder... You know, because I have, of course, I've got a lot of friends that that are, you know, husband and wife falconers and things like that. And and there's been some times where I've had this internal debate whether or not it would make life easier or harder. You can and, talk to my wife. She holds a falconry license. <laughs> well, she can be part of our roundtable later. Oh, Jesus. You don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, you know, I mean, but I do have a spouse, though. I do have a spouse though that does the same that has the same profession as me. Mm -hmm. And some people think, oh well, that makes your life a lot easier, right? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. No, it becomes like a competition of who had the crappier night, you know, and who had yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I had this bad and well, I had you know, and and then so it makes you wonder if it wouldn't kind of uh I don't know, spiral down into that ring of hell <laughs> yeah yeah that's definitely yeah. a ring yeah well i mean what's your experience been with that then i met my wife uh freshman year of college mm -hmm. i was dating her for a very short amount of time and i suckered her into getting a falconry license so she trapped and trained a few red tails and um after that just maintained the license yeah um, so she understands the process and is very understanding of all of the birds in the house and the perch in her kitchen and her living room and her uh, tv room Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important if in a spouse that they have, uh, an interest as absorbing as yours, not necessarily the same interest. Mm -hmm. So her interest is, uh, horses. She rides horses every day. Yeah. So she doesn't give me any flack whenever I say I'm doing something with the birds because I don't give her any flack whenever she's going out to scoop horse crap. No, no, that's a good relationship. I think it's it all goes back to the balance thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so do you guys breed horses too? No, no. You she just have uh, them. She just rides. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I'm embarrassed. I, I can't speak about it more eloquently, but I think it's dressage or hunter jumper. My kids are in pony club. Um, they ride every day as well. Uh, but they get on the horse and they do things. That's all I know. <laughs> not not my thing. I don't get along yeah. with the horses. The horses don't get along with me. <laughs> no, that's fair enough, man. I um I'm I'm pretty ignorant to that too. And uh I I know enough 
about horses to be able to look at a horse and be like, yeah, it's a horse, you know? <laughs> yep. But, but I mean, I, I mean, talking like when I did my uh, podcast was like with Harry McElroy and, and, um, and I've talked to other people that, that are in that world and they start throwing out, you know, the terminology of, of the horse world and stuff. And I'm just like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't float my boat. Yeah. Elaborate on that just a little bit more. Cause I have no idea what the hell you just said. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Well, that's cool. I mean, like, like I said, I'm mean, everybody's lives have different, I don't know, hurdles, hoops, whatever to kind of go through. And like I said, you're, you're another person. It sounds like that. I know it makes life a little bit easier than, you know, having a spouse that is already kind of in that world a little bit. And Oh, it wouldn't work if, uh, if, if she wasn't understanding. Yeah. I think I told her when I met her, you know, we were a year in, she started giving me some issue with a bird. And I said, look, the birds were here before you, the birds will be here after you. <laughs> <laughs> Do I feel that way today? No, I love her very much. And I'd be devastated uh, if something would have happened from my uh, hubris as a, as a dumb youth. But um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's cool. You're winking across, you know, the table at me right now. It's cool. We're, we're, we're making sure the bases are covered, man. It's all good. Yeah. No, he, I'm sure he loves you very much. <laughs> no, it's all good, dude. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, and I'm married to someone who's very independent as well. And, and, you know, all the different things that I do wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for someone who was understanding. And I think also didn't enjoy their time away from me <laughs> at times too. So, but I mean, yeah, everybody figures out the way that it, things work for them. Yeah, so. But as far as, you know, kind of going back to the to the breeding project then, I am curious too. So whenever you do have birds that are hatched and, and you have these different chambers, and I mean, how do you go about, you know, chamber raising some of these birds then? I mean, is there anything? You don't have to go into this. If there's a special sauce or a special, you know, recipe for that, you don't have to go into super detail either. But I mean, how do you go about like getting these birds kind of, you know, socialize with each other and, you know, keep them from. Well, I think there's an important distinction in the terminology and everybody wants to use the word chamber goshawk, um, but a more appropriate term for, for what I'm doing would be called parent. parent goshawk. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, there's a dad, there's a mom, they're in the chamber, they're doing everything. There are, uh, there is no human intervention. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that that is of the utmost importance. Um, I've tried. I thought, well, I'm going to let an imprint female goshawk raise these babies uh, in an imprint chamber and look at everything that an imprint would normally look at, people, cars, lawnmowers, parties, dogs, and think, yeah, I'm going to get the best of all worlds. I'm going to get a, a calm goshawk that's basically manned coming out of the chamber without all the work of an imprint. Passage manners. I couldn't have been more wrong. I couldn't have been further from the, from the mark. I, I had... <laughs> I had uh, a very skittish goshawk that uh, it was the worst of all worlds. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I did that and realized very quickly, this isn't how you do this. Um, I spoke with a lot of, you know, the old timers out there and they cooperated my uh, one-off event and I never did it again. Um, you can't control the positives, the negatives, or the, the neutral um experiences of a hawk like that and because i am of an exceedingly uh, controlling nature i want to make sure in any hawk that i train everything that i do with it is a positive experience 
And so in all of my training, um, you know, from the time I, let's say I trap a bird, I put a hood on it very slowly, very calmly. I let that bird uh, relax and I feed it through the hood and I get it to eat on a cue. You know, I squeak like a mouse and it bends over and eats. Um, when I take the hood off, it is already eating on cue and it bend down and they eat invariably every single time. And a lot of people, I tell them that and they're shocked. Well, doesn't that have them, you know, try and destroy your glove or destroy the perch when they're in the hood? I said, no, boys, girls, we're not feeding them through the hood forever. This is just in the beginning, you know, depending on the bird a day to a week. Um, so that the first time I take the hood off of a fresh trap bird, it's going to eat. It's not going to hang upside down. It's not going to uh, bait and have a negative experience. I'm not going to take the hood off for a week and hope that it eats. That's foolishness. That actually one of my pet peeves that uh, people will starve a, a hawk down to, to get it to do what they want. Um, every time the hawk is on the fist, it gets a positive uh, experience. Okay. And so I'm, I'm assuming then whenever you take a bird from the, from the, the parent reared yes, experience. Okay. So, so, I, so I use the word passage cause I, that's a lot of my experience, but I've trained a bunch of parent reared birds too. But the it's approach the is same similar. exact okay. approach that, that hawk, that goshawk comes out, uh, knowing that it's a hawk. It was raised by hawks. Uh, and because of their age, they're very easy to, uh, manipulate and train. They're not like a passage bird that's experienced freedom and has been out and had all these other experiences. Um, the typical parent reared goshawk pulled from the chamber, uh, in my experience, is a killing bagged game from the fist, you know, 10 to 14 days. Um, that first week is a very easy manning session hmm. with food. Okay. And I mean, so it pretty much comes straight from the, the chamber then with the parents. You don't like intermix other birds that with uh, in other chambers or anything like that? No, like, if, you, if you mix siblings up, uh, that can go wrong. Uh, okay. The females in particular are very aggressive. Um, so I will leave a clutch of youngsters, which could have came from different birds in the beginning. They don't have to be related, but they have to be raised together. That's the important part. Gotcha. So you have three or four goshawks in a chamber. Uh, whenever they're about hard penned, you you pull them out and train them. Okay. And, you know, when you say that on average that you like to have, uh, I mean, your experience, you know, them taking bad game or whatever within 10 to 14 days, are you using anything, you know, training tool wise in, in that interim also? I mean, are you using like lure machines or anything like that? Or are you, you doing anything kind of in the interim with that yeah. as well? Um, I say bag game, lure machine. Interchange Interchangeably? Okay. Yeah. The important thing with training young birds is that you do not appear to be the source of, the food, uh, yeah. of yeah. all the good, th all the food that, uh, what am I trying to say? You don't want them, yeah, the food association. Yeah. yeah. I personally don't do a food association with them, my young birds, you know, you showed up and there was a goshawk out to hack. Mm -hmm. um, the way I get that bird back is uh, I'll set up some sort of baggie. I'll track it down with the telemetry or I'll just pick it up off the ground. But I very rarely will go out with the, uh, the, the lure machine uh, or with the lure and just call the bird down. Mm -hmm. I have almost zero recall over any of the young birds that are flying around in my yard all day. 
Okay. Um, I find ways to pick them up uh, and get them inside for the night. Okay. No, my daughter is peeking through the window. I don't <laughs> know what she wants. She's just waving. She's just <laughs> looking. She is a falconer as well. She is. Yeah. Really? Not on paper, um, but she has helped she, train yeah. three birds uh, over three seasons. Well, I mean, she probably already knows way more than most apprentices then. <laughs> I, I would argue that she knows way more than most falconers. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. I, well, I mean, I, I was going to let you say it, not me, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I know you're probably partial, but... Uh, I'm actually very hard on my kids. I shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, she can hood any bird she picks up. Uh, she knows how to tie a falcon or not. She can walk a hawk out to a perch and she's eight years old. <laughs> yeah. No, that's incredible. Maybe I should be talking to her then, you know? <laughs> you should be. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Well, and I have to, I, I just want to say also, I have to give you, you guys props. You're very polite. And I I'm, was very impressed, you know, whatever. And it's like, hi, you know, my name is, if you, you want something to drink, you know. Wait. They're just animals. You got to train them yeah. the same way. <laughs> it's like, I'll give you the tour later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very, very, very polite daughter you have. Thank so, you. Thank so, you. Yeah, no, uh, major props to you on that as well. But, uh well, that's cool, man. I'm glad that you, you know, I mean, my, my kid, you know, he's 15 now. He could, he could give two craps less about falconry. Yeah. He, he really has no interest. I think he's been hunting with me maybe three times and wasn't a big fan of it each time. So I never, yeah, I never forced him, but yeah, but, um, well, and so, I mean, I guess that, that pretty well covers, I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, kind of what you do with your, with your breeding project and kind of what your general approach is to, you know, some of the, like dealing with these birds initially and stuff, but I want to go ahead then. And, um, I don't know if you were given the heads up. I mean, I hope you were, but I hope you have a couple of like a particular like hunting stories or something that, that kind of come to mind or a couple of experience. It doesn't have to be like hunting per se experiences with, you know, either hunting birds, dogs, your breeding project, anything that, that kind of come to mind is, you know, some of your more fond memories in falconry. When you pulled in, Casey said, hey, he probably will ask you this question. Uh, <laughs> so I had a little bit of a, a prep. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've been, like I said, I've had hawks for two plus decades now. And uh, every day you go out, there's always something interesting to see. Uh, so it's hard to, hard to think about one particular experience. But I, I do remember one... Uh, one hunt that was uh, was quite funny in hindsight. Um, I was out with uh, a male goshawk, and uh, I had a Brittany Spaniel at the time. And this Brittany I had trained to uh, point rabbits. And the Brittany went on point, and I walked up there with the goshawk on the fist, and um, you know, getting ready to to give it a kick. And uh, the dog yelped and started spinning around in circles with a muskrat attached to its uh, lip. <laughs> and there was blood everywhere. And and the uh, goshawk latched on to the muskrat and the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just was a, a complete debacle. It was, it was a mess. It was horrible. <laughs> and you were doing what this whole time? Oh, cussing, yelling, screaming, <laughs> trying to trying to kill the rat, and trying to kick the dog, trying not to break feathers on the goshawk. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious! It seems like every falconer's got at least one of those debacle stories. You really haven't been a falconer longer than five minutes if you haven't just had at least one complete cluster of a hunt at some point in oh, time. Oh, when you think about everything that could go wrong when you're out there with a wild bird and and uh, uh, 
you know, an unstaged place, it all can go. It all can go wrong. For sure. And especially once you start incorporating dogs and other things like every new X factor that you incorporate, it's like the percentage, like, yeah, <laughs> you, you incorporate your buddies or other falconers and the X factor goes through the roof. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and even something that doesn't seem like it would be that big of a deal all of a sudden gets multiplied exponentially whenever you have eyes and, yep. and you have to listen to the heckling afterwards too. Yeah, no, that's hilarious. Well, I mean, what was your biggest achievement just out of curiosity, like with with this massive breeding project that you've worked so hard to build up and stuff too? I mean, what what's been kind of your crowning achievement so far? Uh, we all have personal goals, and you know, like this year, my goal was to hatch every fertile egg that I had, um, and I did it. Uh, I hatched eggs that were thin shelled, pock marked, oblong, too small, too big. Um, I had 100% hatch rate on on fertile eggs, which I thought was pretty cool because it's it's not as easy as just throwing them in an incubator. You know, they're not chickens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, tracking tracking weight loss to the hundredth of a gram and having to manipulate those eggs uh, in various ways uh, to get them to hatch. It's it kind of flips my switch. Uh, I yeah, all the power to you, buddy. I <laughs> God. Well, like I said, man, like I said, that the thought of, of managing that, like I said, it just stresses me out. I mean, I'm glad that, that guys like yourself, you know, get, get your, get your kicks off of it. You know, I mean, I'm super thankful for guys like you because we all have our thing, you know, and it's the same thing with like guys that make hoods and everything. I mean, there's, there's so many different things that I, I know I'm, I'm so glad that there's people that, that continue to want to do it because don't see myself ever doing it. <laughs> so, well, and, and real quick too, before we kind of wrap this up then, I mean, what, um, what's been kind of like your, out of curiosity, what's been one of your biggest disappointments? I mean, have you ever had any, any seasons that you just had something you were super bummed about as far as your, either your breeding project or your own personal falconry or. Boy, I'd have to think about that. In, in hindsight, I certainly don't have any regrets, even if I did fail, uh, because you ultimately come out of those situations having learned something. Mm -hmm. um, and I may be kind of like the glass is half full instead of half empty type of person because I don't dwell on those. And honestly, if I had a bad time, I probably shoved it out of my brain. I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't give you an example. Well, that's even, I mean, that's even more rare. <laughs> it's happy. not because there weren't any. Yeah. Okay. Well, perfect. Yeah. I mean, of course we all have instances where, you know, like even if it's something that we didn't think would turn out very well or whatever, I mean, they're all learning experiences for, for better or for worse. As we've said many times before, we're always paying tuition, you know, and in, yeah. in, into these, into these experiences and it's a constant learning experience, but well, no, that's cool, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you have to have that attitude to a large degree doing what you do, you know, I mean, especially with, with this, with your, with your, uh, breeding and, and everything else, you're going to eventually run into things. And if you get disheartened by the first thing that comes along or even the hundredth oh, thing that comes along. You wouldn't along, be a falconer very long if you yeah. threw in the towel with every, uh, little small thing that happened. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, cool, man. This has been, this has been cool. I mean, it's been, it's been nice getting a chance to, 
see your property, get to get to know you. And, and, um, you know, I really appreciate the invite once again out here. I mean, it really means a lot. And, and before we wrap this up, I do want to get one last thing from you, uh, for the last, I don't even know how many podcasts now, especially with guys that have been doing this as long as yourself. I know there's probably at least one decent like piece of advice or sentiment that, that you could probably pass along to people that, you know, probably sticks out more so than, than others in your mind also. I mean, would you mind giving a piece of advice to, you know, future or even current generations of, of Falconers? And Something that was told to me uh, when I was younger, and I think about it every with every single hawk that I train, uh, it was so simple, but it was to think like a hawk. It was to just put yourself uh, in that position and and try and figure out what is it that the hawk wants, what is uh, what the enjoyment or whatever it is they get out of it, um, and that that has helped me uh, through a lot of problems with my falconry. Very cool. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. Thinking of anything from whatever else perspective is always a good thing because you can't really have tunnel vision when it comes to this stuff by any stretch. Yeah, that's when I think people start really getting into trouble, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. I guess, um, like I said, we can go ahead and uh, and probably call this good then. I know we're probably going to end up talking smack and uh, and you know having another fun conversation with, uh, yeah. with a couple other guys I've, later. I've got a uh, couple of uh, pork shoulders on the barbecue. Yeah, and I know, man. It smelled a, delicious. We've got a big night ahead of us. Oh, for sure. And uh, we've got, also got some sweet baby Jesus to drink also. <laughs> Here in a little bit, and uh, maybe even some some cracking if some people want it, and and everything else. I sort of sometimes I wonder if people like think I'm an alcoholic when they listen to this podcast because I'm always like <laughs> cheer, you know, <laughs> going ahead and just in clacking glasses together at the beginning, and always just asking people what they like to drink and stuff. I swear I'm not that heavy of a drinker, but anyway, it's uh it's definitely fun with uh, especially falconry gatherings, man. It's a uh, it's a it's a very cool way to to break the ice with people and like i said i appreciate the beer and and the conversation man this has been great yeah thanks for driving out to see me no for sure man like i said thanks for the invite and uh yeah we'll go have some barbecue and, and some more beer